Hey everybody, Bob Olson here with Afterlife TV. You can find us at AfterlifeTV.com. This is where when we're not shoveling ourselves out from several feet of snow, we're searching for evidence of life after death and asking the meaningful questions around that subject. Today we got something very special for you. Um, you know, I'm calling this an afterlife love story. I don't want you to get that wrong. Uh, my subtitle is going to be Choosing Light Where Darkness Looms. This is a really special uh, episode because we will be talking about uh, after-death communications and we'll be talking about uh, precognitive knowing where some people seem to know that their death might be impending even uh, on a subconscious basis. I, I found that this seems to be more true for younger people than uh, us older adults, um, but it does happen in all ages. But we're also going to be talking, and I want you to stay on because uh, the, the foundation of this is a very tragic story, and, uh, but this is, you're going to leave this episode feeling empowered and feeling uh, like you have some new tools for making life better uh, by being careful about the choices that you make and you'll learn more about that as as we go on our guest is the author of this book very special book oh you know someone i actually had a relative who uh just told me you have to have this woman on here's the book right there nurturing healing love a mother's journey of hope and forgiveness i bet many of you in our afterlife tv audience have already read it uh, her name is Scarlett Lewis. Scarlett, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. We'll let the uh, audience know we've already had a few uh, chuckles because Skype is playing around with us. Um, we, we, you're, it's, it's causing your lighting to go back and forth. So everybody, we know, we know this stuff is happening. We can see it. There you go. It just, it just <laughs> happened. Thank you. Um, and we, and sometimes her email is going to ding. And that's just maybe I think to put emphasis on whatever it is we're saying, just to wake you up a little bit. Uh, and I, and I do believe that uh, your son uh, Jesse is is really having his fun with us here, and I this agree. is. Great opportunity for it. Your story begins December 14th, 2012. It is a very tragic story. Why don't you tell us what happened on that day? Well, on December 14th, 2012, an angry young man shot his way through the glass doors of Sandy Hook Elementary and proceeded to gun down 20 first graders in two first grade classrooms and six teachers and administrators. Um, that was uh, obviously the worst day of my life. Uh, I was at work, and when I got the message that there had been a shooting at a school in Newtown, um, just not too concerned, uh, not thinking that it was that big a deal, believe it or not, because, of course, nothing can ever happen to your child, and especially, you know, where you live. And, you know, Sandy Hook is a little New England community. Um, got to the school, I, my, my commute is 45 minutes. By the time I got there, there were uh, media, army trucks, people running around with camouflage on, helicopters overhead, and uh, we were supposed to meet up with our kids uh, at the firehouse, which was at the end of the road, and of course, Jesse never came, um, and neither did so many other loved ones. Um, we didn't find out until the end of the day uh, what had really happened, in fact, after everyone else in, in the United States knew. Um, but uh, just a very, very tragic day. I was definitely in shock. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I have the book, and but I was I actually listened to it. I got the Kindle version, and I used my Kindle to to read it to me. Um, not sure why I did that, but it was, it, you know, it, it the computer doesn't read it perfectly, but it, it did it did a, a good enough job. But I was I was riveted by the story that you told, and in a way that um of course i think most of us have already heard that story but hearing your version of it and and what your experience was like and i i was really able to sort of you know feel as though um i was there with you and and watching you go through this experience you did a great job um uh articulating that in this book i um again though i you know i want to repeat that you know it's it's a tragic story, but uh, I didn't feel as though I w- wanted to close the book. I, I, I felt as though uh, the way you wrote it, uh, you weren't pull, trying to pull tears out of me. You know, you were just just stating the facts, telling me what it, what was happening, and uh, and for that reason, I uh, I wanted to uh, understand as much as anyone can. Uh, in our situation, who haven't experienced what you've experienced, uh, so I thought it was very well written, I, and I just want to mention that because um, I, I I think uh, there's a lot of people. I'm, I think I'm one of them that tends to avoid books like this because I don't want to feel bad, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt compassion for you all the way through, but I can't say that it ever made me feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and 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 if nothing else, I mean these stories make us. Uh, recognize how the 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 little things in life are are silly for us to uh, feel sorry about ourselves, you know, as we go through life, and we go, oh my God, you know, look what she's been through, and but also how grateful I am for so many things. So after finishing this book, I just felt gratitude for days uh, about my life, and that's one of the things that your book offers. Definitely. Um, I, I'll tell you, going through a personal tragedy like that gives you an incredible sense of perspective myself. I mean, everything that is not important falls away. And you just have this incredible sense of perspective of what's important and, and you feel gratitude for those things. So, so in, in that regard, um, that, that's a blessing. That definitely comes out of it. I mean, there there are a lot of lessons in the book as well. I mean, it's it opens up pretty dramatically with um, I think the scene in Jesse's classroom uh, because Jesse acted very bravely that day when the gunman uh, entered his classroom. He continued his killing spree and murdered Jesse's teacher who was standing very close to him. Uh, we we feel like he was. Uh, standing there with her to protect her and when the gunman's uh, gun ran out of bullets uh, Jesse used the delay to call out to his friends to run they said it's because he called out that they ran and he was instrumental in saving nine lives he himself didn't run because we feel that he did not want to leave the side of his teacher and so the gunman reloaded and killed the remaining kids uh, in the room but um, just that lesson alone within the first few pages um, changed my life. It wasn't just the loss, but it was his courage that he showed on that day. And I think about that on a daily basis when I wake up and I think, oh, gosh, this, is, this life is 
hard and you know how can I do what I what I feel compelled to do and I feel that uh, you know if Jesse had the courage to do what he did on that day I certainly have the courage to carry through with his message and of course I've been talking a lot with children and school children and the concept of courage falls into uh, character values it takes courage to be kind it takes courage to be generous and compassionate and so I feel like that's such a great lesson for for all of us and and also you know perspective for everyone as yeah. well oh my goodness uh, that is so true and uh, it's 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 always interesting because uh, you know guys especially guys will you know be the first people to you know oh you know if I was in a situation like that this is what I would do we never know what we would do until we're in that situation and uh, and here how old was he six 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 year old has this kind of courage I don't know where it comes from uh, you had some I, I mean he. He was sort of the protector even before that. He was protecting the farm, right? Absolutely, yeah. He his favorite toys were yellow rubber ducks and little army men, and that shows you like this incredible dichotomy within him. But uh, one of my most poignant memories is of him coming home and kicking off his school shoes. He would pull on these snow boots with camo on the top. I mean, even if it was summer and he would pick up a water gun and he'd strap on this army helmet and he would go out and he would just, he would, you know, go out in advance of me going out to feed the animals. He would stand at the gate like this, like a sentry waiting for one of his friends to come and take a horseback riding lesson. And we always called him the protector. So, and it's weird. It's almost like I look back now and I see um, how perhaps maybe in the last six months of his life uh, he was gearing up for you know something like this that was gonna happen I felt like you know we would um, roughhouse uh, every morning so JT would leave he would get the bus JT is Jesse's older brother he was 12 at the time he would get the bus at 630 and then so that hour that next hour would be my time with Jesse and I'd go go in and wake him up and we would uh, wrestle is what he called it like wrestle and play and uh, I remember the last six months, like our wrestling got, it was a little bit different. It was like he was strong and he's only six, you know, but I would have to say, don't hurt mama, you know, like be gentle with me. That's pretty rough, you know, but I, and I, I look back now and it's just only recently that I've been thinking about that thinking, I think he was, I really think he was gearing up for this. My friend had sent him that army helmet. That's that iconic picture that everybody looks at and, um, that's in the book, but, um, he wore that army helmet to bed. He wore it all the time. He wanted to wear it to school. And I said, you can't wear it to school, but he would come home and strap it on. He'd literally wear it to sleep. And uh, I just feel like he knew he was this little soldier and he was going to have to do something brave. I mean, my God, that classroom literally was a war zone. Yeah. And um, I, I feel like he had this, you know, this spiritual knowing that uh, that that he would have to play that role, and he was preparing for it. Yeah, no question about it. Here's the picture. If we can make it visible at all. Yeah, yeah. But you can see it. People can see it. Um, you know, and and these are these pictures are all in the book, and uh, that one's on page. I don't have my glasses, so looks like nine. <laughs> uh, but. 
one of the other things that you talked about in the book that I thought was really important, and again, just a great reminder about life. And and I don't know where you got this from. I'm, maybe I missed that in the book, but um, you were going through a period yourself. Again, I you know precognitive knowing. I don't know, but you were going through a period where, or maybe it was always like this for you, but you were taking the extra time uh, to be with your children and do do things in spite of the fact that you might be late for work, that sort of a thing. And you just knew, you know what, I need to spend this time with them. Uh, Tell us about that. Tell us, you know, maybe a couple of things that you had done. And I also want to know, where do you think that came from? I know it's, it's weird. Well, you know, Jesse was born and, um, I, I said a prayer the first day that he was born and I said, uh, dear Jesus, um, I know that he is a gift. I know that you can take him from me, but please don't. And it was like, I think I cocked my head aside and was like, hmm, okay. But I prayed that with Jesse every single night. And I pray for JT as well, but not that prayer. But I never really questioned it. And so after Jesse was born, um, he, his dad and I uh, uh, split up right after he was born and I and I kind of went through this period of my life where um, I, I really had to become stronger I had to become more independent and um, I actually hired a personal empowerment coach right after Jesse was born and uh, she still works with me um, uh, in the foundation but I made some huge changes in my life uh, I became more aware I became more conscious I became more mindful and so um, you know, and, and more grateful about things in my life. And uh, I just, I really, you know, it was just the boys and I, and I just, uh, that never bothered me. I just wanted to be with them and, and have fun and focus on them. And, uh, and gosh, I'm, I'm so glad that I did. But I do think that, you know, looking back, then I can say, wow, where did that prayer come from? Yeah. Um, I think that it had to come from, uh, a spiritual awareness, uh, a, a precognitive knowing on my behalf that something was coming. I, I look at the way I led my life uh, with the boys during Jesse's life. It was like, you know, I, I went to work, I supported my household, but every time I was with the boys, it was like, what can we do? Let's just have a great time. We're, let's just, you know, and uh, my mom would joke because she would call me at like 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning and she'd say, where are you guys headed to now? And I'd say, well, we're going to a museum uh, to see, you know, like a, 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 a beagle mom is nursing fox puppies in some museum two hours away. And then on the way back, we're going to go play laser tag. And then we're going to go to a movie. Then we're going to go out to say, it was like, I packed my days, you know, <laughs> and then, and that was, that was, even at night, we would just be having fun. We might go to a movie on a weeknight or JT and I would go skiing on a weeknight. And I remember thinking after Jesse died, I remember sitting on the couch, not wanting to do anything, not wanting to need having a, this inner feeling or this drive or this passion to be somewhere, to be having fun, to be doing. It was like the first time in six years that I was able to sit and be still and calm and not have this inner drive to do something. And I thought, wow, um, thank God I had that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because we really lived those six years very fully, um, but I also, you know, wondered 
as well where that came from. And it had to be a spiritual awareness and knowing that I had to pack a lot into those six years. And I did. You know, uh, and, and that's not uncommon. Um, even with people who, say, die in their 20s or 30s, I hear of those people being very driven to pack a lot of life into mm -hmm. those short amount of years. Uh, you know, it certainly gives you the impression uh, that there's, um, there's something that's, that's driving us, that's pushing us um, to do these things. And, uh, and, and, and for me, I find that comforting. I find that comforting because it, uh, it makes me think this was all part of the plan. This, you know, this is no accident. And absolutely. Yeah. And now one of the, other, since we're on this subject, I, I, because I think, I think it's fascinating. You also wrote a children's book before Jesse's passing. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I wrote a book called Roses Full. And, uh, this was right after, this was about a year after JT was born. Um, the day after nine 11, uh, my JT's father was working in New York, and, and uh, so I was just so devastated, obviously, as everyone was. And I was looking at the TV at this horrific scene of burning buildings and destruction and terror. And then I'd walk outside of my farm, and we had just had a newborn foal the day before. And it was just this beautiful pastoral scene, and I just thought... I need to do something about this. And at the same time, um, we don't have a TV. So I read, I read to the boys every night. And uh, all these books that I was reading to JT, they, they just weren't, they weren't enough to nourish his brain, I thought. And so I thought, you know what, I think I can do better than this. So I wrote a book about the foal that was born on the farm and a mother's love for her child. And I included the five most important lessons that I think that a mother can pass on to her son uh, in particular and um, and the last lesson was that a mother and foal, a mother and son might not always live on the same farm but their love will transcend distance and time forever and always and then uh, I, I ended the book you know a traditional book is ends with the end and um, you know it's it, love never ends. So I couldn't really say that's never the end because there is no end. So I ended it, love never ends. Uh -huh. And so um, I was surprised to find that in December of 2012, um, the book was flying off the shelves. And it was because, uh, and people usually, and this is usually, people see the synchronicities before I do. But um, they they said, oh, my God, you had you had an awareness that this was going to happen. This was your last lesson, you know, that uh, that you wouldn't be on the same farm, you know. And, and of course, when I was writing it, I really thought about uh, college. Boys <laughs> 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 were going to leave for that, not death. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it also it, uh, speaks to death as well. Well, yeah, who knew? And I mean, I got chills a couple of times <laughs> while you were telling that story. Uh, and I had already read about it, which, is, but it's just, it's that kind of a story, especially when you think of it in hindsight that you wrote this before, um, before the shooting. Uh, I, the next thing I, I'd love for you to just uh, tell us about the story of the morning of uh, the shooting. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um, you mean the firehouse? No, no, no. Uh, way before that. Uh, you have a great picture. Uh... Yeah, right. So, so uh, the morning 
Um, actually, it was actually this was Thursday morning because Jesse was with his father every other Thursday. So this was Thursday morning, and the shooting would happen the following day. Normal morning, obviously, getting up, rushing around, getting two boys off to school. JT had left, and then Jesse had our morning together. And I'm walking him out to meet his father, who's picking him up uh, in the driveway. And um, we had this conversation about how we were going to meet at Jesse's uh, classroom the following day to build gingerbread houses. And uh, I turned around to give Jesse... Uh, a hug and kiss goodbye and I saw that he had written on the side of my car with his little fingernail in the frost I love you and he had drawn little hearts on all my windows I have a picture of it here amazing and yeah so on the windows we can see oh yeah yeah we can see it and in the book people can see that more clearly um, but there he is thank God for that was your cell phone, I assume, you took that picture with? I didn't have it with me, but I looked at that, and I just thought, this is one of those moments, you know, <laughs> being mindfully aware, this is this is a moment that you cherish. And I, I said, don't go anywhere, just stay right here. I ran in, I got my cell phone, uh, I, I came back out, I positioned him in front of the car, I took a picture of him, and uh, that's my goodbye message that I have a picture of. You know, thank God, because... That was frost, and you know it melted within you know fifteen minutes. But yeah, um, that I will just have that with me forever. Well, it's beautiful, uh, and what a gift uh, that that is. I mean, again, uh, you have to look for the gifts, right, uh, through the darkness. But in this particular case, I mean, so many people uh, pass, and uh, and I hear a lot of people say, you know, I didn't get to say goodbye, I didn't get to say I love you, um, whatever. And some people have had harsh words, and in this particular case. Uh, you know, you have you not only have the words, but you have a picture <laughs> of what it was. Yeah, it's be beautiful. Now, was it the um, was it the same morning or was it the next morning that um, uh, Jesse had said something to to his father, Neil? Uh, I thought that was again precognitive knowing was still on the subject. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So it was that morning. It was uh, December 14th. It was the morning that Neil was driving him to school, the morning of the shooting. And <clears throat> um, Jesse uh, said uh, he was kind of grumbling because the night before they had gone to this place called Stu Leonard's and they were having a gingerbread making class. They had signed up for it and they couldn't get in because it was filled. So I guess Jesse was kind of grumbling about it in his car seat in the back. And Neil said, well, don't feel bad about not missing that because your mom and I are meeting today at two o'clock in your classroom and we're going to make gingerbread houses. And Jesse said, that's not going to happen, you know, kind of grumpy. And Neil said, yeah, it is. I mean, we talked about it. We bought the kit last week and, and you know, it's all set up. We're going to meet in the classroom. And Jesse said kind of angrily, that's not going to happen, you know, very emphatically. And so Neil thought, hmm, you know, to himself, well, first he said, I'm not going to argue with him. You know, maybe he's got his dates wrong. Maybe he doesn't feel that well. Uh, in fact, he says, you know, that uh, some of part of him was like, well, maybe he doesn't feel well. Maybe I should keep him home from school. Ugh, too bad he didn't have more precognitive knowing. Anyway, um, but he said, I just didn't I just didn't argue with him. We went to school. I walked him into the little foyer and I bent down, you know, like I always do to give him a kiss goodbye. And he, Jesse, put his arms around him and gave him a kiss and whispered in his ear, Dad, it's going to be okay, and I love you and Mom. 
and then turned and walked away. And Neil said he was like, hmm, okay, and so left. But, you know, then it becomes uh, a very um, meaningful after the fact. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And uh, it, it, uh, again, I'm, you know, I, I just go back to when you're when you're when you're looking for the bits of light in, in uh, a very dark story. Uh, this one has a lot of light, and again, gives me that comfort because it it gives me this thought that you know, does it do the same to you that again, this is not an accident. This was almost something that his soul had planned, and here he was. And there's a purpose in all this. Uh, do you feel that way? Did you come away with that at all? Oh, I, I absolutely know that to be true. Um, there's a reason and a purpose for everything, and it serves us, and I know that that's true. Um, and I, I don't, I, you know, I, I say I used to believe, and now I absolutely know that there's life after death. Um, I know that Jesse's with me. He sent me such incredible signs, and there's this precognitive knowing without a doubt in this case that your spirit knows and um, not consciously as you said but but uh, unconsciously and for me that gave me so much uh, so much comfort because um, to, to just to, to know that he's okay now and that we are going to be reunited I know that without a doubt and and you know that precognitive, um, all that precognitive stuff that helps a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a picture of the drawing he did of the shooter? Yes. You yes. do. Uh, I mean, so this is amazing. So, at what point did you actually find this drawing? Um, um, yeah. So, uh, I I went directly to my mom's house. She lives on the other side of town, and so I stayed there for roughly a month after the shooting. And um, about a week after, uh, one of our state trooper went to the school and got a box that, uh, of all of Jesse's personal belongings from the classroom. So they literally just took the paperwork out of the desk and stacked it chronologically and, you know, any schoolwork that was hanging up in the room, they took down. And um, so, so my sisters-in-law and myself went through this box and... We found this picture that he had drawn uh, about three days before the shooting. And so, you know, so what I see here, I see, I see a figure with like angel wings. Um, and then I see this other figure that's been blacked out. And uh, tell, tell us more about it. This is incredible. So, um, and, and it's funny because I, I give talks around the country and my audiences pick up on things still to this day that I hadn't noticed. So we call this the angel and the bad man. And um, this is exactly how Jesse died facing the shooter. Um, he, uh, he's in the shape of a bullet and the angel is a 14. <laughs> Oh, wow. See, I mean, these are little things that my audiences um, talk to me about. Um, the, the, the most incredible thing is this shooter's head because I don't know if your audiences are going to be able to see it. I'll try to get it as close as possible. But in the back of the head, and I do not believe that he intended to draw this, is a demon figure. There's a, a, a figure in a black cloak with two black blunted wings. He's got a little face that's looking over towards Jesse. He's got a ball cap. 
Uh, he's holding a gun and there's a phallic symbol that screws down into the head. I mean, this, I don't believe, you know, this is just like in his, his, it's like an angry figure, mm. but, but this demon is, is very prominent. And once you see it, you can't help but see it. But the more, the most important, incredible thing about this, this, uh, shooter's head is that in front of this demon-like figure, there's an angelic figure. There's a figure that could not have been drawn. It's like a, a rubbing almost. It's a face, a little face right here with a halo. And the woman is standing uh, somewhat like Mary of Medjugorje, standing, you know, with her arm out like this in biblical robes um, with a halo. And, and it couldn't have been drawn. So that to me, um, my interpretation is that we all have the two forces within us. We all have good and we all have evil. And it's like the, uh, the old Indian parable, uh, it's whichever wolf you feed. Um, and and uh, I feel that way about the shooter. You know, I feel like um, he wasn't born a mass murderer, right? right? He was born a perfect child of God. He was cultivated into the killer that he became by his environment. Right. And right. so, unfortunately, that uh, the wolf that was fed within him was evil. But there was also the, um, the propensity for goodness in there as well. And that could have come out, but we both, we all have both. And I think that's a really important lesson. I think so too. I, amazing lesson. And it's an amazing picture. And I'm going to try to put that picture up under this video. So uh, if, if it's not there, uh, everybody, I just had some issues uh, because I, I want to make sure that people are able to see these things. Yeah. Otherwise, do you have them on your website as well? I do. I I think that that picture's on my website. It's definitely on my Facebook page. Okay. All right. Great. And we'll 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 tell everybody about that uh, later. And uh, but important things to see. And again, everything is in the book. Let's show it again. All right. Nurturing, healing, love, a mother's journey of hope and forgiveness. I'm going to talk mm -hmm. more about that. Um, you have another picture there. Much more beautiful picture. <laughs> um, uh, tell, can you show that to us and tell us what that picture is all about? Well, I have, I have many beautiful pictures. Are you talking about his last painting? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Jesse and I painted together. Um, I paint in oils. He painted in acrylics for obvious reasons. Um, but this was his last painting that he painted about three months before he died. And... You know, when your child paints a painting, it's, you know, just a, a masterpiece, right? Because your child did it. When he dies, it becomes a treasure. Um, I took a couple of these pieces to um, a woman who had studied with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And uh, she, she studied precognitive drawing with her, where kids draw how they're going to die. And uh, when she saw this, she said, my God, that is a three-dimensional door. And he painted exactly how he was going to die. This is a bloody, violent death around the outside. The blue is the journey. And the green is the color of the heart chakra. It's the color of love. And it's where he's going. Mm. And, uh, and, and absolutely. I mean, for a six-year-old anyway, to cover all the canvas like this is pretty incredible. But um, to me, that's exactly 
what he drew. Yeah. Yeah. And I have great respect for Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and that organization um, and uh, the work that she's, she was one of the early people I was studying before her passing um, many years ago uh, that brought me into this field. And uh, her work is amazing. But certainly her work with children is the most fascinating to me, always has been. And uh, and the, the great thing that she's able to do with a lot of these kids, because she worked with kids in all sorts of different ways, but she was able to work with a lot of kids who where she could get their feedback on, uh, you know, what does this drawing mean to you? Uh, you know, and um, and it really helped define, uh, uh, crystallize her ability to uh, interpret these paintings and drawings that these kids did. Uh, and that makes perfect sense to me right there. Yeah. yeah. It's just, a, it's just amazing. And, and they, they keep, they keep coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, and, and you know, it, it reminds me a little bit too. I mean, the first thing I thought of when I saw it was, you know, just the, you know, the tunnel that, that, that so many people who have near death experiences talk about, um, that they went through. There's certainly a doorway, you know, to the afterlife. Um, just beautiful. So much there. Uh, you've also had a lot of what we call ADCs, after-death communications. Uh, I'd like to discuss a few of those. Uh, being Afterlife TV, I, I like to focus on some of um, uh, you know the more spiritual aspects of your story. And uh, I'm going to start, start off with some some maybe more mild ones, and we'll work towards the stronger ones as we go. But, I mean, at first, one of the first things that happened with you was you immediately have lights flickering. And most Afterlife TV viewers understand that it's one of the easiest ways for our loved ones in spirit to communicate with us. Uh, why don't you tell us about uh, your experience with lights flickering? Well, the, the morning after, um, I was actually sleeping in my mom's bed, and I got up really early. It was dark. Um, of course, you, for you have that few seconds of bliss till you realize what happened. And um, I remember just getting up. I had my laptop uh, on the floor and I picked it up. Uh, I turned on the lamp and I kind of positioned myself and I was going to start writing a draft of his obituary. And almost immediately, I got my laptop open and the light next to me blinked three times. One, two, three. Just very deliberate blinks. And I got this wash of, of just soothing comfort and love that came over me. I had this, this absolute knowing that Jesse was right there and that he was telling me I'm okay. And, and I, I even said out loud, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm so glad that you're okay. You know, I love you so much. And, and, and that was just, it just started right away. And then we had this this light that was uh, and it's on the most the strangest place you know it's on this um uh dresser it's right outside of my mom's bathroom and um I, we had a lot of people of course coming and going my friends flew in from all over the country and some of them are spiritual some of them are not at all and uh, i'll never forget um we're getting ready to go to the funeral and um, my best friend's husband who is not spiritual is helping JT up in my mom's bedroom and they had this experience with the light blinking and it, it gave it, you almost like got a message from it you knew that it was from you you knew it wasn't just 
just blinking or, or, a, or a dim bulb. It was a message, and he came down with tears streaming down his face. Uh-huh. He wow. said, I was with Jesse. And it was just so beautiful. And I'll just say, last night, I'm over at my mom's. We're in the living room, and I'm with a bunch of my really good friends. I'm going over a presentation that I'm giving um, with the foundation, and I wanted them all to hear it before I, I brought it out to the world. And, uh, and I start talking about it. And, of course, we're always talking about Jesse. We're talking about the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation. And all of a sudden, the light on the other side of the room started blinking. It hadn't blinked. It started blinking, blinking, blinking. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, you, it takes you a little while. Like, oh, okay, the lights, oh, it's Jesse. And I said, well, Jesse's here. And somebody said, oh, my God, I was watching the light blink in the window. And I was thinking, is that really, is that what it is? Is it headlights? You know, it takes everybody a while. But it blinked, 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 and then it stopped. And, uh, and so I know that he was there with us. Last night, my mom said, after you all left, I went back into the living room and I sat. And of course, I wanted the light to blink, but it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love that. I, I, because you know that your loved one is there and he's, you know, he was watching the presentation too. He's, he's, my, he's my boss. Yeah. <laughs> so he wants to make sure I'm doing a good job. <laughs> well, I, and, and, you know, look, I mean, certainly the skeptic can say, you know, I'm looking for things, but... The truth is, you have a light that's in front of you. Your light is not going on and off, but our visual of it is that it does. You keep getting darker and then getting brighter. Um, this has never happened with another guest. Where starting right from the get-go, <laughs> this has been happening with us. It's kind of comical, but we're talking about lights flickering, and this is just another way that uh, you know I have I have no problem. Um, saying this is you know this is jesse letting us know that he's aware of this interview and he's uh and he's right here with us during this whole time well the lights are better than when i had my first board of directors meeting and i I, you know and i'm sitting right here and everybody's on this is skype and you hear you know like this whooshing whooshing and uh, i'm like i'm so sorry i don't know what's wrong with my my uh my audio you know, we couldn't do the call. Uh, I had to mute myself. And uh, one of one of uh, the guys on my board of directors, he's actually a three-star general, and he said, it's Jesse. <laughs> and I said, I think it is. You know, it's not always me that says that. Other people bring it up. And uh, I, th- I, I think that it is. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's one of those things. It's kind of easy, even for, the, even for the people who would not watch Afterlife TV. Um, they they don't have a they really don't have a hard time believing in these sorts of things because we've all ex- experienced it so much and and uh, and they happen at the most uh, incredible times you know right. that you really can't even call it coincidence anymore and so uh, I think that even you know generals are able to uh, very easily say uh, you know yeah that's that's who it is it's you yeah. know. And fall into, and I love that, and I, I think it's wonderful. You also have a great story. I think it was the next morning as well, um, soon after uh, Jesse passed, that uh, you had you found something on your pillow. Do you remember that? Uh, I, I know you can't remember because I, I, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. It wasn't the next morning. It was several weeks later, but I because I was back home. 
And I had gotten up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I didn't turn the lights on or anything. I'm just kind of feeling my way. And so I felt my way back and I put my hand down on the bed to kind of feel where it was before I got in and my hand touched, touched on a toy, miniature toy soldier. And it was like, I had just been lying in the bed that was not there. And my head, my hand, you know, went down on the bed right on top of it. And I just, you know, when I get those things, I go, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see it. I love it. Thank you for letting me know that you're here with me. I love you so much. I miss you. Thank you. You know, and then I, I keep those little things. They happen a lot and I keep them with me for the day, at least. I mean, I used to keep them with me for weeks. They would go everywhere. And now I at least keep them with me for the day, just because that's Jesse's token of, of, of physical presence and loving me. And so I'll just stick it in my pocket and, uh, and walk around with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would too. Um, the other great thing that I, there was two, uh, two young boys. Uh, and again, uh, this is going to happen through young children more likely than adults, you know, but, uh, two young kids who, um, actually seemed to have communicated with Jesse. Um, and one was his cousin, Christian, Becky and Jordan's son. Yeah. Oh gosh. Amazing. So, so the first time I ever came back to the house uh, was a few days after the shooting and I had to get Jesse's clothes for the funeral. So, um, I, I came with maybe 10 people, friends and family all around me. They knew it was going to be very difficult. And so we walk in, we'd already put our Christmas tree up. And actually I had bought a little train for Jesse because he had specially requested this that went around the base of the tree. And uh, I think the two, a night before, two nights before, um, it was sitting right there and he just begged me to open it. And I said, just open it and play with it. You know, my, you know, full of fun. And he did. And so the boys pl- had one night to play with his train and they had such a great time playing with it. And so the train was still out. The box was still lying there. And uh, my brother Jordan and his little son Christian, who I think was four at the time, um, they they walked in. Christian went, a train, a train, you know, and he ran over and Jordan's like, don't touch that. Don't touch anything. And I'm like, oh, no, no, Jordan, please. He can play with it. And he's like, no, I don't want him to touch anything. And I said, no, no, no. I want him to have it. I don't want that train. I don't want to see that train. You know, I mean, it was kind of like you, you change, you change different things about, you know, but it, I was in shock and, and I just said, you know what? I don't want to come home again and see that train. I want you to take it. I said, in fact, the, the, the packaging is right here, here. And I just dropped my knees and I said, Christian, this is your train. Jesse would want you to have it here. I'm putting it back in the box. It's brand new. And so we, we packaged it up, took it. And then, um, uh, a couple days later, this was the day of the funeral, uh, and I'm dressed and I'm sitting on the couch waiting for everybody to show up. And Jordan and Becky come in, and they have tears streaming down their face. And Becky's literally bawling, and she, they, they both were like this, and they said, "We have something we have to tell you. Something happened this morning." So, so Christian got up early. And he's been talking about the train, the train, the train, and, and he asked for the train. So Jordan went out and got it. It was still in the car, I guess. And, uh, and so he gave him the train and, uh, and, and went back to sleep. So we're, we're lying there. We're, we're asleep in bed. 
and the doors closed. And I guess Christian knows just to play very quietly whenever he does. He said, well, he's never made noise before. Uh, <laughs> and she said, I, I, I heard him talking to somebody in the hallway right outside of our bedroom. And she said, I opened my eyes and I, and I was listening. And she said, uh, Christian was saying, oh, is this your cool train? This is a cool train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Becky said, she reached over and she grabbed Jordan's leg and she started shaking him. And she said, Jordan... Christian is talking with Jesse and Jordan woke up and they heard this conversation. He was saying, Oh, play with it in the tub. Okay. Cause Jesse loved playing with toys in the tub. And it was like, they knew, but you know how you have, you have a knowing, you just know what's going on. You have this spiritual awareness of what's going on. They knew that he was talking with Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they came and they were telling me this and it was so nice, but I have a little follow up to that, a little follow up story. So my mom had Christian in her car. Um, now remember, he's only four. And, uh, you know, I mean, we got together at holidays and different things like this. But um, he's, he's four. And she's sitting in, in a car. He's sitting in a car seat in the back of my mom's car. And my mom has Jesse, his picture on a mask card. And she keeps it on her dashboard. So they're, they're sitting at a red light. And my mom takes the, the mask card. And she turns around. And she goes, hey, Christian. Do you remember who this is? Do you remember him? And Christian goes, yeah, that's the kid with the cool train. So, wow. you know, just wow. just love love yeah. little things like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, I mean, that, that just wrapped it up in a bow right there. Um, right. Yeah. That... Right. And then um, my other brother, Trent, um, I'm not sure if this is in the book or not, but um, he has a young son, same age as Christian, and uh, Sasha, who is my sister-in-law, says she puts um, Hayden down to bed every night, and they say a prayer every night and include Jesse in it. And uh, and she was talking about Jesse, and he goes, "Yeah, Jesse, Jesse's flying. Jesse comes in here and he flies. He flies." And so you know, she's thinking that Jesse really does come in and fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about him because that is in the book too. And okay. Beautiful, beautiful stories, and uh, and it's such innocence. You know, when it's coming from these children, they have no agenda uh, to do this. They, they, you know, they they wouldn't even know to to say these things to make other people feel better. Uh, they just because they're honest and and everything that comes out is truth. And there right. you go. Uh, and I love those stories. I think I think they're amazing. Now, uh, uh, talking about an amazing story, though, uh, yeah, I, I don't think anything can be really more powerful than the story um, uh, of when you get off the plane in Florida. But and, and you can tell that story. But I, what I want everybody um, uh, to understand it, uh, ahead of time is that, uh, and because I, I think this is beautiful and I think it's uh, important is that you uh, what happens in these situations where uh, people lose a child is very often the focus becomes on the child that's been lost and the child that's left behind is gets ignored in many ways because of grief because of depression because of all sorts of reasons um, and, and in your case you made an extra effort to 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 not let that happen, and you you decide you're going to bring JT to Disney World, right? Right. So, so go ahead and take it from there. That's well, great. Well, you know, Christmas was two weeks after the tragedy, and uh, that day, as you can imagine, was just horrific. 
in so many different ways, but also, you know, I have three brothers and they all have two little boys and they're all, you know, running around on that day and everyone's busy and, and all, you know, they're all younger than my boys. And so, uh, you know, and I had already done all my Christmas shopping. So all of Jesse's presents came and they were given to the little nephews and the little cousins. And it was, it was a difficult day. And I thought, oh my God, I have to get out of here. I have to reconnect with JT as the family of two that we now are. So uh, within 24 hours, I had gotten um, plane tickets and a place to stay. And I was thinking, what's an easy place to stay? Someplace I feel confident going on my own. We've been. It's fun. Why well, not Disney World? So um, within 24 hours, we are on our way to the airport. And I, had, I was leaving out of um, White Plains. And my father and my stepfather was uh, driving us. And um, that morning, there was a huge storm. And uh, so as we're driving to White Plains, this has never happened before, but a pop-up came up on his cell phone and said, your point of origin of your flight has changed. And we turned around and we went down to New Jersey, mm -hmm. uh, to JFK. That's where we had to fly out of. So once we get there, and, it, and by the way, this was uh, a, day or, a day or two after Christmas. So I still wasn't talking to any. This was only two weeks after Jesse was murdered. I mean, I hadn't been home um, uh, I hadn't moved back home and I really wasn't talking to many people. I just was still in shock and this was for me to get away too. And so no one knew we were going really, only a few, very few people, my very close, a few friends and of course my family. So, <clears throat> um, so we, we get down to the airport and the flight is canceled three times because of the weather. We finally get on the plane and uh, so we were given a movie because, uh, because of all the flight delays and everything. So uh, where everybody's watching their movie, you know, Peanuts, Cokes and everything. Uh, and I'm sitting in the middle seat. JT's got the window seat, except for me. My movie won't play. My movie on the little screen goes flash, 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 flash. And then it, it drops down 20 channels to a uh, radio. And uh, the channel is playing, you know, songs that were, were for me. Um, I, there was no way around it. Um, the, the words were for me. In fact, I, I got my cell phone and I, you know, this was our healing adventure. I didn't want to, JT's not really into the ethereal things and I didn't want to make him feel sad. We were supposed to be happy. So I really didn't say, I didn't want him to even know that I was getting messages at this point. So I just kind of got my cell phone. I took out the notes. I'm writing down every word. They're like, missing you, love you, wish you were here. You know, they're all for me. Then the song would go over and I would go back on my seat and I would channel back up to try to watch the movie and I'd watch maybe 30 seconds of it. Then it would flash, flash, all static and everything. And then it would go down again and another song that was just for me. And I was like so happy because I knew I was getting messages from Jesse. Finally, JT looks at me and he goes, Jesse? And he, he's not into, you know, spirits and, and uh, signs or anything. But <laughs> And I said, yeah. I, I mean, it has to be. So we, I never get my movie going. We land, and uh, one of my friends texts me, how was the flight? And I text her back, and I say, the flight was amazing. Um, Jesse was all over this flight. And she texts back, and she says, sometimes spirits linger because they want to make sure that we're going to be okay. So I, I just made a mental note. I knew exactly what I had to do. I didn't say anything to JT. We get off the plane with our bags. And I said, JT, can you watch our luggage while I run to the bathroom? He said, sure. So he's standing on the outside of the bathroom watching the luggage. I go into the women's bathroom. I lock myself in a stall. 
and I say a prayer and I just say, and I'm bawling my eyes out because I really mean this when I'm saying it. Jesse, if you're lingering to make sure that JT and I are going to be okay, we're going to be fine. You know, I want you to be in the arms of Jesus. If you can be in both places at once, that would be fine. But if you can't, I want you to go. I want you to go be in the arms of Jesus. We will see you soon. JT and I are going to be fine. We're going to miss you. I love you. But I, I know that I will see you in heaven. So I'm bawling. And I, I open the stall door. I rinse off my face. <clears throat> you know, this is JT and my healing adventure. I don't want to bring JT down. So I really <clears throat> masked it. I go out of the bathroom. I'm like, all right, JT, let's go rent our car and start on our healing adventure. So we go, we rent the car, we drive out of the airport driveway, we make a right onto the highway there, and out of my window, the side window here, uh, in, the, in the sky is written in skywriting, Jesse and Jesus together forever. <laughs> I have a picture of it Which, because thank I, God. I, I, we stopped. I looked at JT. I didn't say anything. I looked at JT. JT looked at me and he said, Jesse's with Jesus. And I said, I know. And so we just sat there in stunned silence for several minutes. <laughs> and who would believe this? I'm glad you took a picture, right? Too. It's just too amazing, right? Well, I say, you know, JT's like, he, he's like my toughest critic. Yeah. So he's always in the background listening to what I say and he'll go, no, wait a minute. It wasn't five minutes. It was three minutes. And, you know, so I'm like, really, thank God JT was there. You know, even if I had a picture, I mean, JT saw it too. And yeah. he was 12 years old at the time and we were floored. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see the picture. Okay. Hard. Oh, we're not seeing it because it's kind of, oh, there you go. Kind of, oh, okay. Well, we can't make out what it says, but um, again, oh, okay. So, uh, same thing. I'm going to try to put this picture up below this video so people can see it. But obviously, it's skywriting. And tell us about the J, the J yeah. and Jesse. Right. So, um, it's Jesse ampersand Jesus, and the J is backwards. Like Jesse wrote his J's backwards. It's like, you know, mom, I don't want you to think it's a different Jesse. It is definitely me. And the plane was still flying. Uh, I mean, it had already written the message, but it was still flying. And this is pretty interesting. So it was a little, it's a little um, fuzzy when we were looking at it. And the plane's still flying and it flies around to the front of the car. And now it starts to write another message out our windshield. And uh, I said, JT, we have to stay in and uh, and watch this because this message is for us and he said I know and while we're sitting there the the plane writes and I have my camera now because I've been taking pictures here or my phone and I try to take a picture of this message this is interesting and I can't it must be on a different wind shear I was thinking because as soon as the plane wrote the letter it went away and it wrote you plus God dash smiley face and I looked at JT and I said, this is our, our message that we have to stay close to God to be happy. And he's like, I know. <laughs> and, uh, but then interestingly enough, I was talking, I was giving, uh, I was a part of Wayne Dyer's conference um, in January uh, 2000, 
must be 14. And um, I, I told that story. And at the end of when I was speaking, a couple ran up from the back. They had tears streaming down their face. And they said, we were there that day. We saw the message. Um, because everybody had said, well, did you call down and find out who did it? And I said, I don't have to call down and find out who did it. I know who did it. I have no desire to call down. I know, you know, but actually my neighbor did call down and she had uh, found out the little, she said, I, she, she felt compelled. She wanted to tell the skywriter that, you know, I received the message. I received comfort from it. So she did call down and there's a little group of people that do the skywriting. And of course, no one knew who wrote that. They hadn't heard of it. And, uh, and so here's the, this couple running up with tears streaming. We were there. We saw the message that we have a picture of it. And I said, oh my God, let me see. And they, on their camera is you plus God dash smiley face. They said, we were there that day. And I said, well, if you saw that message, then you had to have seen Jesse and Jesus together, uh, forever because that message never went away. And I couldn't get a picture of that message that you got an entire picture of. And they said, we never saw Jesse and Jesus. We, we saw this picture, but not that one. And I said, but that one never went away. We drove away, and it was still up there. So really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. And, and if people really think about the, you know, I, I know people's minds, and, and, I, and I know you th- know this, um, because of the way that you tell the story, people's minds are thinking that someone you know did this. And it's just, it's not possible because of all the changes in flights and the even the changes of airports. And then, you know, the timing of it was just amazing. So right. uh, just very, just a wonderful story, beautiful story. And, uh, and, and, and you know, I mean, also you're, this is Florida. You know, it's a big Spanish community. So Jesus, Jesus, I mean, this could have been a love message, you know, between two people, two adults, uh, but it meant something to you. And and why the J was backwards. <laughs> Dyslexic uh, airplane, you know, <laughs> driver, whatever you call that, yeah, pilot. Uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And, you know, even if, even if, uh, even if one of my family members did it, nobody's ever fessed up. Not, not only could they not get the time, yeah. nobody could have predicted. I couldn't predict the time, and I was on the flight. Um, <laughs> but uh, they would, of course, they would never have known about the prayer, right? And all the things going on on the plane. And then I say the prayer, and then I walk out, and there's the message for me. So well, powerful. And you know what? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and the greatest thing is, it's, this is a sacred experience to you and JT, mm-hmm. and uh, and and you don't have to explain it to anybody. That's the wonderful thing about these kinds of things, right? I, yeah, I, I love sharing it because I know that a lot of people get hope and comfort from that as well. That's right, and 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 that's why I wanted to have you on today because there's just so much of this uh, throughout your book, uh, yeah. which is amazing for someone to tell this kind of a story. Um, and, and just have all these things spattered throughout the story. I mean, from the beginning to the end, these are just sort of, you know, lightly spattered, you know, here and there as you're going along, nurturing, hearing, love, a mother's journey of hope and forgiveness. Uh, there, the, um, so I want to tell, I want to just talk about the title. Um, right here is the picture so this is something that Jesse actually wrote. Why don't you tell us about that? 
Yeah, so um, on that day that I came home to get his clothes for the funeral, uh, it was on my way out that day that I noticed that Jesse had written a message on our kitchen chalkboard, which we didn't use that often, by the way. Um, and he had written three words, nurturing, healing, love. And those three words are not in the vernacular of a six-year-old. It's not something that they say. Um, they were phonetically spelled because, of course, Jesse was just in first grade and learning to write. But the meaning, I mean, later we come to find out how powerful these three words are. The, the, those three words are in the definition of compassion across all cultures. And then when we actually broke down the three words, and this was over the course of a couple of months, nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. Healing means forgiveness. And love is compassion in action. So those three words in that order are actually the algorithm for choosing love. And it's so powerful. And, and um, not only that, but there's this incredible experience that JT and I had um, with orphan genocide survivors that reached out to JT from Rwanda, wanted to tell him about their, their experience and let him know that he would be okay and feel joy again, which was an incredible thing for both of us because early on, no one had ever experienced something like that. And so no one really had credibility when they told us we'd be okay and that time heals all wounds. And, you know, you're, you're looking at them going, really? Because you really don't know. And these were people that had been through something worse than us. And so they had credibility and they, they reached out and they, they gave us the healing equation, um, how they healed and how they be, they're now young entrepreneurs and, and doing really well. But their healing equation was the exact same one that Jesse left on our kitchen chalkboard. Mm-hmm. Really cool. That is really cool. Um, and, uh, and it kind of leads into one of your key messages is, is to choose love, choose love over anger, uh, mm-hmm. especially. And uh, I wanted to, if you could elaborate on that, because this is uh, sort of the beginning of your nonprofit uh, foundation. So why don't you tell us about uh, this key message that you, you have spread across America, across the world, about choosing love over anger, especially? Well, when, when the tragedy first happened, um, I took a step back and I thought, like everyone else, how could this possibly have happened? And I, I thought that uh, it was an angry thought in the shooter's head at one point that started, set off this chain reaction and, and started this whole, the whole um, tragedy. And I pictured the shooter as a young boy having an angry thought without the tools or nurturing environment to deal with that thought. And so this thought, uh, more angry thoughts, and it escalated. We know that one angry thought can change us on a biological level. It actually changes the shape of our cells. Imagine just continuous angry thoughts um, without a nurturing, loving environment. And uh, anger can turn into rage. And rage, I believe, is what fills our prison systems and, and can lead to acts of violence such as Sandy Hook. And then it, came, it dawned on me, my God, uh, a thought can be changed. And so what power in that to know, uh, but you have to be taught this, that you're not your thoughts. Um, you can choose loving thoughts over angry thoughts. And it's just a choice. So much in our life is just a choice. We can choose to forgive. We can choose... 
choose to be compassionate, choose to be in service to other people. So I thought, what an incredible message to go out um, and, and talk about Jesse's message. I knew when I saw Nurturing Healing Love, um, I just downloaded all this information, really almost from his message about uh, about how this happened and, and why and, and what we can do to, to change it. And I felt like I knew that Jesse had a, a spiritual awareness that he wasn't going to be on earth for that long. I knew he wanted to leave a message of comfort for his family and friends. But even more so, I knew that he wanted to leave a message that could make the world a better place. And this nurturing, healing love, which happens to be the algorithm for choosing love and choosing loving thoughts over an angry thought. And I realized that this whole tragedy started with an angry thought, so it all kind of fit together. It, it really does. Uh, it really does. And, I, I, you know, look, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that you've come to this conclusion. Uh, I, I, I've run into lots of people in the work that I do um, who are still stuck in their anger, and uh, all I can say is they have every right to. Um, but uh, then when I see people like you who have recognized uh, the power of the paradigm shift to do what you're saying is to think of it a different way and choose love over fear and hatred, anger, all those things that are related, um, and how that can change your life. And, and this is one of the key messages that I really... Uh, thought was so important. I needed everybody to see all the other uh, parts of the story that we've we've built up t uh, until now. But but this is the one that really can be life changing, uh, and it led you. Uh, if I got the story right, in only six weeks, um, you found it within your heart to be able to forgive this this uh, young man who actually shot your son. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, yes. Well, you know, it was strange that I, I, I never, I mean, I was never really enraged at what had happened. That's not to say that I don't have moments of anger because I absolutely do. Um, but, uh, I, I, I thought about how something like this could happen. And I, I just felt like I just had this intuitive feeling that he had, the shooter had slipped through the cracks in our society, that he had never been shown caring and kindness in any aspect of his life and that um, that we could have done a better job with him and actually it turns out that that is exactly the case that that he is someone that did slip through the cracks uh, in schooling and in his community um, and it's unfortunate uh, but I in that way uh, and I thought someone who could do something like this must have been in such a tremendous amount of pain himself and it was in that way that I could feel compassion for him and uh, and come to forgiveness. Um, I've learned so much about forgiveness since December 14th and I think about what I knew about it the day before and and even though you know I, I, I've gone to church I consider myself faithful and, and religious um, I, I, um, I, I didn't know anything about forgiveness and, and so much that I've learned and I continue to learn uh, that um, we forgive for ourselves. I remember speaking to an at-risk youth group, and I'm talking about my journey of forgiveness, right? And uh, these are these are rough kids. There were about 50 of them, and one of the kids in the back raises his hand and says, "What is forgiveness?" And I'm standing up there, and I'm going, "Ah, oh, 
you know, you don't, you know how you berate yourself. You don't have a Webster definition of forgiveness at hand and you're sitting here <laughs> talking to people about forgiveness. What is wrong with you? And I said, you know, I'm going to have to tell you what forgiveness means to me. I said, I felt like I was connected to the shooter through somewhat of an umbilical cord and that I would be dragging him around with me. All of my personal power flowed out of me through this umbilical cord into the shooter. And so I would be drained and, and I was angry all the time. And, and forgiveness to me is a big set of scissors. And I cut this cord and I said, it's not condoning what he did because I'll never condone what he did, but it's freeing myself from anger. It's freeing myself from being constantly connected to him, for, for, for renting him space in my head. And I'm able to move forward with all of my personal power and, and, and use what I've learned to help other people. That's what forgiveness means to me. And, uh, you know, and since then, it's, it's gotten richer and fuller. Um, he also raised his hand and he said, uh, how long did that take you? And, and I said, that's a, that's a great question, too, because, you know, I forgave pretty, pretty soon after the tragedy, but it doesn't mean that I don't fall back into anger. It doesn't mean that I don't have times of anger, because I absolutely do. But it doesn't mean that I failed in forgiveness. It just means that I need to take a deep breath, and I need to choose to forgive again. And that's okay. I think uh, uh, often in our society, we talk about uh, forgiving and forgetting, you know, but but forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. In fact, it would be unhealthy to forget things that were done to you that were, were painful and impossible, right? Mm -hmm. So we're set up for failure immediately when you talk about forgiving and forgetting. I never want, I will never forget, obviously, what happened at Sandy Hook, and I never want anybody else to either. So it has nothing to do with forgetting. People say, well, I can't forgive because I can't condone. Well, it has nothing to do with condoning, and it has nothing to do with holding someone accountable for their actions. I mean, everyone is accountable for their actions. So forgiving is for yourself for releasing you from anger. And then I found um, while doing some research on the internet that actually there are studies that show when you choose to forgive, you actually have 70% less anger. And that kind of, uh, that I, I felt that in myself. I, I have, you know, it's, it's a way to kind of get past that, that those points of anger. <laughs> That's really powerful. I. Uh... I, I wish more people understood the energetic uh, value of forgiving, uh, as you described it. Uh, there's a reality to it. Um, uh, we really do have a cord connected to us, um, mm -hmm. to that other person, uh, when we when we refuse to. Uh, I, I write in my own book. You know, forgiveness is really more about us than it is about the other person. It's not about letting the other person off the hook. It's about letting us off the hook. Uh, of reliving uh, whatever it was that took place that is holding us in anger and hatred um, uh, for the rest of our lives. And, and that's, that's what you described. And, but you got that. Uh, it's a difficult concept to really understand for a lot of people. And, and, I, and for those people, I, I, you know, I kind of feel sad because they do carry that around with them the way you described. Um, your message is really important, I think, uh, you know, you talk about religion, and, and religion is, is really important, but religion is what I call a vicarious experience. People are teaching us something 
for which we have to learn to believe. We, we need to trust what they've told us in order to believe it. Uh, you teach from personal experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, you tre- tre- when you learn from experience, that's, that's the only way to what I call a knowing uh, versus a belief. That's and, exactly right. And, and that's what I say. I have a knowing. I used to believe, but I have a knowing now. And, uh, and that's such a blessing. It, it is, and and it, and really, and we teach by example. Our children are looking up to us. Uh, people in their twenties and their thirties are looking to see how we live our lives. Uh, and 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 you, uh, it's one thing, you know. You have your words, and you're out there. You got your words, and when you're speaking, your words. But it's really your example um, that means more than anything else, and that has an energetic quality to it as well. And that is what is changing the world. Uh, each one of us changes the world, either positively or negatively, right. through our example. And you're certainly doing it in a very positive way. This led to your foundation, uh, the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation. Why don't you tell us about that? So uh, the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation, um, I created to spread Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love. I feel like uh, it's, it's a healing equation. And uh, it's universal. When I talk, I, I, it's, I've talked to so many disparate groups, um, from kindergartners to uh, convicted felons in prison. And it's amazing. I say, I, I talk about nurturing, healing, love. I basically say the same things. And it's like these people, the kids or adults, um, they can they, they take it, they translate it into their heart, and they they can they identify with it, and it changes lives. It's so beautiful. Um, I knew instinctually uh, right after the shooting that there was something missing in Adam Lanza's education, um, and I thought that uh, well, of course, Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love would be associated with social and emotional learning in schools. And uh, I just had a feeling that he wasn't exposed to that. And uh, it turns out that he wasn't. And had he been, there's a report that came out, things might have been different. So I have been spending the last two years since the tragedy promoting social and emotional learning on a national level. I'm now working with Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio, who's written a social and emotional learning bill. Um, We're working on a companion bill in the Senate with Senator Blumenthal. Um, we're, we're, I'm going to have a meeting with Vice President Biden to get it going on a national level. This is really exciting stuff because there have been uh, 20 years of scientific research and, and evidence about how incredibly important social and emotional learning is to, to children and to their development, to their brain development. To their, to, it, it decreases violence, it increases peace, it helps with test scores. I mean, mind, body, and spirit, there's just so much evidence of how good it is. And, and, um, and, and even in my mind, more important than the sheer academics of reading, writing, and math, because it helps academic performance, actually, while creating, and when I say social-emotional learning, I'm talking about character values, emotional uh, intelligence, moral awareness, mindfulness, things like this, um, that, uh, that, that it's evidence-based, um, how wonderful it is for children. And, and there are some schools, but we really need uh, a, a push for this. You know, there have been 100 school-related shootings since December 14th, 2012. 100. 
which is one per week in our country. And uh, sometimes I feel like I'm in the twilight zone because I'm, I'm, I don't see really anyone else jumping up and down saying this is unacceptable. School has to be a safe haven for our children. Um, and I guess it's because I'm traveling, crisscrossing the country, talking to parents, talking to children, realizing that this is a silent epidemic that's changing uh, education in our country. I mean, uh, there, there's some fear now where there wasn't. And of course, how can, how can kids learn when they have cortisol rushing through their brain and, and negatively impacting their prefrontal cortex. Um, and and uh, so it's just, it's so important. Um, but there are things, I mean, and I don't say that to scare people because there's so much that we can do. So many things out there. It's very exciting. And, and a big part of that is social emotional learning. So uh, just being aware of it and, uh, and asking your school if, if you, you have these programs in your school is a good start. Yeah, geez. Uh, it, you know, um, first I'll say, Jesse Lewis, chooselove.org, O-R-G, is the website. All the links will be below the video. Uh, you know, first of all... Um, you know, when, when Jesse yelled out to the other kids to run, uh, we know at least six kids ran out of that room, right? So, nine, nine so, actually. Nine, nine kids. Uh, uh, and so now we know, I mean, instantly he saves nine kids. Um, but now through, um, through his passing, through the tragedy, uh, through the work that he does through you, um, and together, you as a team are affecting hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, hopefully millions of children, soon to be adults, um, across our country at least. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I know that uh, I know that JT and the and the foundation, you you are doing things with uh, the victims of Rwanda uh, as well. So that becomes now worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's just, it gives, um, it doesn't make it any easier, but it gives meaning to loss. Does it not when, when you see the results of something like this? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. I see Jesse's message um, positively impacting people's lives all over the world um, and, and, and being able to uh, devote my life to spreading his message, which is I knew what I had to do. Um, and honoring him in this way is a beautiful thing. And, uh, and knowing that he is a very active part of the foundation, that this was his intention, really. I mean, I say that he, he had this precognitive awareness and then he leaves this message powerful enough to change the world. And, and I'm watching it happen. And sometimes I, more and more I find myself just sitting back in awe and just people showing up in my life uh, and, and for the foundation that are supporting us and, and moving us to the next level. And I think, wow, what's he going to do next? You know, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm his action on earth, but so he's so incredibly powerful and it's, it's really exciting for me. And, uh, and of course a, a great way um, for me to heal on a daily basis. Yeah. Right. Right. Which will be ever, ever, a daily thing um, for the rest yeah. of your life, just like everything else that you talked about. You know, choosing love is is something that you do on a daily basis, and and it's continuing. 
uh, this will be as well. I, I want to encourage everybody. There was a lot of other things I wanted to talk about. We're already way over time. Um, uh, so here's what I'm going to encourage people to do. I'm going to encourage you to buy this book, Nurturing, Healing, Love, A Mother's Journey of Hope and Forgiveness. Scarlett Lewis, links below the video where you can buy that right on Amazon. And um, this is a nonprofit foundation that you've created, Jesse uh, Lewis Choose Love Foundation, nonprofit. All the proceeds, am I correct, of this go to the nonprofit organizations that you created. That's All right. Um, I think it's important that people know that. I think that's one way that you can support this foundation and the work that uh, Scarlett here is doing. Uh, and uh, otherwise, you can go to the website, and I'm sure there's other ways if you want to contribute more that you can do that as well by going there. Absolutely. Uh, Everyone listening can be, a, can be a part of this change. It's really important. There is one last message that I wanted to share with everyone. Yeah. Uh, on the same day that I came home and I found the Nurturing Healing Love on the chalkboard, um, JT had kind of been watching everybody get all these messages, and, and I don't think he you know, had a personal connection. And so while we were walking out that day, I felt this little tug on my shirt. And, uh, and he said, you know, Mom, everybody's been getting messages. I got a message, too. Uh, and I said, you did? What, what, what did you, what, what message? And he had gone into his room, because remember, we weren't living here at the time, so he was getting uh, chargers and things, really important stuff like that. And he, and he found a message that Jesse had left him on his desk. And the message said, have a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, this message from this little brother to the big brother was so prophetic because whereas Jesse was bouncing off the walls and always smiling and laughing, JT is kind of the kid that's a little bit more serious, you know, and he needs to sometimes loosen up. And uh, so that was incredible. But when I saw it, I also saw how... Uh, the importance of it on a global scale, like aren't we just here to have fun? Isn't that what we're all just trying to do? While we're doing nurturing, healing, love, we have to remember to have a lot of fun. And so that's kind of become my mantra when I'm doing things and sometimes I'm nervous and I'm coming out of my, I'm going out of my comfort zone. I get this little, this little tap on the shoulder and it reminds me, hey, you're supposed to be having a lot of fun. And so I just, it completely changes the way that I look at what I'm doing. And I think, right, this is a lot of fun. I'm so blessed to be able to be doing it. And, uh, and so I wanted to share that too with everyone. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I really like that because um, it's an important reminder for all of us to do that. Uh, years ago, I used to listen to Tony Robbins and um, uh, he, he, there was something that he was talking about and he, and he talked about when you're about to do something that you don't really want to do, like go running, <laughs> you know, or something like that. He, he said, you know, ask yourself, how can I make this a top 10 experience, you know, so I can listen to great music. I can go with a friend. I can, you know, you would think of all the different things you can do. And uh, that became kind of a mantra of my wife, Melissa, and I along the way, you know, if we had a long drive to Connecticut or something to visit her sister, you know, we would be like, how can we make this a top 10 experience? And so, and that's basically what you're saying you know do the same thing in life and again a day-to-day -day challenge for each and every one of us because uh life can uh life can can get you down sometimes and that's when you always want to remind yourself to to, to have a lot of fun and if Absolutely. you and jt can do it i think any one of us can do it so uh there's a lot of things in this book uh she talks about um uh, uh resisting going to a support group 
and then how that ended up being so beneficial to you. It was something I wanted to talk about, but we won't because people can read it in the book. And then also you, you utilize some alternative uh, therapies, including Reiki and hypnosis and EMDR and tapping, otherwise known as EFT. Um, really powerful stuff there. Uh, last question, you know, how are you and J2 doing today? You know, I mean, really, I mean, it's in terms of your grief, in terms of dealing with all this, um, and aside from what you've told us, you know, how is it going for, for both of you? Um, uh, well, incredibly enough, JT is doing better today than he's ever done. And I, and I, I say that um, he started the, after the Skype with the Rwandans. Um, his, his thing was, you know, the, those kids reached out to me in love and I'm going to reach back out to them. That was a direct quote. I'll never forget it. He started um, NewtownHelpsRwanda.org. And so within a couple of months, he'd raised enough money to send one of those orphan genocide survivors to college for four years or university in their country. Um, he's helped former children's soldiers in Uganda build self-sustaining fish ponds. Uh, he's helped children in Connecticut. And just through his service, he has been healing himself. And today, he is better than he's ever been. I mean, he's confident. Um, he's, a, he's a freshman in high school. And uh, he's, just, he's just really come into himself. He has, a, he has a tremendous faith. He's seen all that's happened here. So um, he's really choosing to live his life in faith and not fear. And uh, he's doing really well. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm doing well, too. You know, it's not to say that every day I don't miss Jesse. It's not to say that I don't have tearful moments every day, because I do. But, um, but I think that my mission of service through the foundation is really what is healing me on a daily basis. Um, I, I realize more and more that the only reason we're here is to be in service to one another. So I feel very blessed to to um, have found my purpose in life and to have been given that by my six-year-old son and a message that he left on our kitchen chalkboard and uh, and to be able to pursue this mission of helping other people I just feel incredibly blessed so so in that way we're doing we're doing we're doing well great um, well I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today and um, uh, it's just so meaningful, and I really do think that people, as I said at the beginning, tragic story, empowering message. I think people are going to leave uh, watching this episode and feel better um, about a lot of things in their life. Certainly, they have a new way of choosing love, right? Choosing love over uh, all sorts of negative uh, other possibilities like hatred and anger and fear. And uh, I think it's a great message. I'm going to, uh, it's my new mantra. I'm certainly going to uh, think about it all the time. And I appreciate it. Keep us up to date. Uh, if there's any way that we can help you with what you're doing, uh, let us know. And, uh, and I hope a lot of people will reach out to you and, and read your book and support your foundation and all the wonderful work you're doing. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.